Tonight we're going to be addressing the questions that are asked, and I will tell you that sometimes the questions that are asked require us to go to the right source. Frequently people will call the church building and ask me a question, and I will say I cannot answer that question. I don't have the authority to do so, or I don't have the answer that you are looking for. When you read Acts 15, verses 1 and 2, you realize that sometimes there are issues that arise within the church, within our minds, that require us to go to the right source. What they did in Acts 15, verse 2, was to go to the apostles and the elders about this question. The apostles were going to be able to provide God's answer on the subject, and the elders were going to make sure that it was enforced within those local congregations. Some questions for us arise from our Bible study. As we have our Bibles open, we find ourselves reading a passage and saying, what does this passage say? Other times we find ourselves facing challenges from society, and those bring questions in our mind. Is this right or is this wrong? Should I participate? Should I not? And as I have mentioned each month with regards to our studying of these questions and answers, there are some questions that are textual that relate to what the Bible says. Some are topical, and then there are some that are practical. And I'd suggest to you the two two questions we will address tonight that have both been asked relate to a practical application of God's Word. And uh, we have to make sure that when we go to the Bible... Sometimes you can't find the whole answer in one passage. Sometimes what you have to do is to apply biblical principles. And that's what's going to be required in our lesson tonight. And uh, there's two questions tonight relating to the role of women. And I'm going to read the question, the first one, exactly as it was written to me. I guess I should have put quotation marks around it. Is it scriptural? for a woman to exercise authority over a man outside the home or church, possibly in the workplace, school, social organizations, etc. Now, as we begin, I want to point out, I want to really do a little bit of introduction here. Cultural practices, that's what that goes on outside our own homes or outside of this congregation, often bring the church in conflict with society. It always has and it always will. For instance, some current topics that are in our society today, like abortion and homosexuality and divorce, are issues about which our culture says one thing and the Bible says something entirely different. I will tell you that in different cultures, women were treated vastly different. In our society today, women are treated much different in the United States than they are in some countries like Saudi Arabia or Iran or Iraq or Syria. There are other places where women maybe have more leeway or more freedoms than they do even in our country. I will tell you that in some places, women were treated and are treated as property that they can be bought, they can be sold, they can be treated as they will. In some cultures, I will tell you that even in biblical times, there were loose women that were recognized by 
certain behaviors. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, there was a situation there of women in Corinth and having their head covered. I want you to listen to verses 4 through 6. Paul writes, Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one and the same if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. Now, you might say, well, I don't see women having their heads covered today. I don't see a problem if a man, for instance, had some sort of covering on his head that that might somehow dishonor God. But in Corinth, in the first century, when Paul wrote this, it did. It created a a controversy. And the problem of a woman having her head shaved recognized her as being a prostitute. Certainly that's not something any godly woman would want to have. So you recognize that culture affects many things and many ways. I do want to specifically address this question. The case or the question here is not about what the Bible teaches about the role of women in the home and in the church. That's been very clear. We've taught on that in the past Ephesians chapter 5 says that the husband is the head of the wife, is Christ is also the head of the church. So we recognize that in the home, God designed that the man should be the head of the home. With regards to the church, 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says, I desire that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Likewise, women also adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair, gold, or costly pearls, but that which professes or women professing godliness through good works. And I'd permit not a woman to teach nor have authority over a man, but to be in quietness. And that's 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning with verse 8 and following, where Paul made it clear that in the local congregation, that the men were to lead in the local assembly. So this is not about the home. This is not about the church. The question is not about what society does, but what does the Bible teach? It'd be very easy for me to get up here and just say, this is what the world does and this is what the Bible teaches. But sometimes those points intersect. I will address the issue with biblical principles. The Bible does not specifically address the role of woman in secular society. There's not a passage that I can go to and say, here's what God says about a woman in secular society of his approval or disapproval. So the question then is, did men serve under the authority of women in society, in the Bible? And I can give you a very plain answer on this. Yes. Number two, the biblical principle is, does the Bible indicate that this was contrary to God's design? Is there a passage where it says she shouldn't have done this? Or is there a statement saying that what she did was in error? And the answer to that question is no. There's not a passage that says that. 
Now, to illustrate the point that I'm trying to make, I'm going to use several biblical examples, and if you want to turn to these, you're more than welcome to do so. Because we're going to use several to, to be able to get a full picture. And the first one is found in the book of Esther. You may remember Queen Esther was elevated to be the queen following Vashti's refusal to be displayed. She was remarkable and noted for the fact that she was a woman who was a Jew and being in the position she was in actually saved the lives of the Jews during the reign of Ahasuerus. We read in Esther chapter 9 verse 29. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihel, with Mordecai the Jew, now listen carefully, wrote with full authority to confirm the letter or second letter about Purim. Here is a woman who is in society, who is illustrated in the Bible, and she wrote with full authority. That means she had some rule over others, including men. Let me give you the second example. If you turn to Acts chapter 8, I know you're all familiar with the Ethiopian eunuch. In Acts 8 and verse 27 we read, So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury had come to Jerusalem to worship. I would observe from this passage, number one, we often speak about the eunuch's authority. He was a man high up in position, but he was a man who was under Queen Candace. She was able to give him rules, she was able to promote him, and she was able to dismiss him as well. And there's no indication that he was told to go back and tell the queen, I can't serve under you. As we go a little bit further, let's go to the book of Judges, chapters 4 and 5. And if you will notice, when you get to Judges 4 and 5, we get to Deborah, and she is one of the judges. She's also a prophetess. I just want to specifically draw your attention to verses 4 through 7 of chapter 4. Now, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. And she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. Now listen carefully. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Does she have a position of authority? Yes, she does. Is she in a position where she is representing God? And she is. She is a prophetess. Look at verses 6 and 7. Then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinon, from Kadesh to Naphtali. And she said, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded? Now pause for me for just a moment. Here this woman calls for Barak. He's a man. She also provides for him the direction coming from God that they should rise up and go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor. I would suggest to you that again, you have a woman who is in a position of authority and she is doing so with no condemnation at what she was doing. 
The fourth example comes from Lydia in Acts 16, verses 14 and 15. And Luke records, Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. Now at this point, here's what we know about Lydia. She is a businesswoman. As a businesswoman, she would make transactions. And in doing so, she would be in a position of authority to hire someone, to hire them to do a job. Maybe she would hire people to bring purple cloth. In doing so in society, would she have a position of authority? Yes, she would. And she would be able to employ people to do a job, including men, and expect them to do that. I want to direct your attention now to Proverbs 31. We all know about reading about this woman. She's a worthy woman. In chapter 31, verse 10, he says, A worthy woman who can find, for her price is far above rubies. She's a good woman. But as you look at the things that Solomon says about her, in verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. From her profits, she plants a vineyard. If she buys a field, she evidently is able to enter into transactions to be able to buy it from someone, including a man. If she plants a vineyard, certainly she's going to have to have workers to work that vineyard. Would she have the ability to do so? Evidently she would. When you get down to verse 24, she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. In doing so, she, number one, makes them. Now she has the ability to enter into commerce, to sell them to someone. In doing so, does she exercise a role of authority? Evidently she does, and she's described as a worthy woman. One last one from 1 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 24. I found this real interesting. I'd never noticed it before until doing this. Now his daughter was Shira who built lower and upper Beth Horon and Uzan Shira. This woman built three cities. Can you imagine building three cities without having to hire or at least direct and employ men in doing so? So here's the conclusion with regards to this question. While the roles for the home and the church have restricted the authority for males... Such is not the case in secular society. That women can and do occupy positions of authority in the Bible and I cannot see any indication that in doing so that they sinned in so doing or they violated God's law. That's the best answer I can give from the scriptures. Question number two. What kinds of things can a single woman do to serve in the church. Before I begin to answer this question, I want to say thank you for this question. Sometimes we forget that there are various people in the congregation that have services to offer and we sometimes skip over their talents and their abilities. Whoever this young lady was, I don't know if she's young, maybe she's older, uh, whoever submitted the question, I think, has in their heart a desire to serve. And I think that's a good question. As we begin, 
I will point out by way of introduction, the role of a wife and a mother is certainly held in high esteem in the Bible. In fact, the Bible is very clear. In Hebrews 13 and verse 4 said, Let marriage be had in honor among all. You can read Titus 2, 4 and 5 talking about the older women that they train the younger women or admonish the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Good, godly women who do that deserve the honor and the respect for being good, godly women. In 1 Timothy 5, verse 14, for those women who have married and now are widowed, There are circumstances where Paul was concerned about them and he said to Timothy, Therefore I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Obviously this is in the context where some of the widows were becoming busybodies. They, because of their youthful capabilities, were running about from house to house and had become busybodies. And he said, I think that's not the good situation, so they ought to marry. Yet there are occasions, though, where remaining single is not only not sinful, it's sometimes preferable. I'd like for you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And uh, I can't address every issue in 1 Corinthians 7, but I will point out that these are the kind of questions that sometimes are asked. Paul would say in verse 1, Now concerning the things of which you wrote, things, plural, there's a number of issues relating to a man and a woman and how they interact. Evidently, in the first part of the chapter, there had been a question asked, What about a man and a woman? Is it a good idea for them to get married? And he said it's better for them to marry than for to burn. In fact, he makes it clear that God gave marriage to prevent fornication. But Paul will go on and point out in verse 26 about the present distress that it was better for a man to remain even as he is. So if you're not married, don't get married. If you are married, don't get a divorce. But I want you to notice specifically verse 38. So then he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better. In this case, he's talking about a father who has a daughter and he's concerned that she's getting a little too old to marry. He's afraid she's going to become an old maid. And so he's saying is, if the father is able to not marry his daughter off, then that's better than her going ahead and marrying. He also explains that there's some spiritual benefit to this as well. If you'll notice with me, verse 34, he says, There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. I will tell you that in this context, particularly it appears that there's a mixed marriage concern that's revealed earlier in the chapter, that is a woman is a Christian 
She's grown up in a Christian home. And now here's a man who wants to marry her and he may not be a Christian. This woman has a much better opportunity to serve being single because her focus can be on the Lord rather than on pleasing her husband. Well, let's address the question as it was asked. What can a single woman do? Perhaps the greatest thing she can do is to be a good example to other people. In fact, I'd suggest that's what every Christian ought to think about. What does my life reflect? Can people look at me and see in me holiness, righteousness, goodness, faithfulness in everything I say and do? Job 1 and verse 1 says, There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job that was a blameless and upright and who feared God and shunned evil. If you are a young single woman or an older single woman for that matter, the best thing that you can do in serving God is be an example that people can look at and say, that's what I want to be like. Number two, service through good works is not limited just to married people. I realize that in society sometimes husbands and wives go together, they accomplish things together. Um, as Solomon say, two is better than one. And sometimes these things may be easier, but there are things that are, can be accomplished by singles as well as those who are married. For instance, Acts 9, verse 36, At Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. This is a woman who was actively involved in being good to the people of the community. There's no mention here of a husband. There's no mention of anybody else other than her and what she herself had done. As Paul would write Timothy in 1 Timothy 2 verse 10, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. I have known many godly women who were single either because they were widowed or single because they were what we sometimes call old maids but whose lives have been full of demonstrating faithfulness and goodness and godliness. Titus 3.14, And let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they be not unfruitful. You can provide encouragement to other single women, and I put particularly those who are widowed. One of the things that is part of my privilege of serving as a preacher of this congregation is to be involved in the lives of many people. And yet I recognize that there are limitations that everyone has. It's hard for a person who is a married man to be able to offer the kind of comfort to a widowed woman that she might would need. And yet I think there's some of the younger ladies of the congregation who are faithful Christians could be able to provide a service there that is greatly needed and in do so with their specific talents. Let me refer you to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 for just a minute. Verses 17 through 19 and verse 27. There Paul pictures the gifts that were given. These were miraculous gifts, but... There's a parallel in the sense of natural gifts that people are given. 
He said, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set members, each one of them, the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? Verse 27, now we, you are the body of Christ and members individually. You recognize that each one of us has a particular talent, a particular ability, a particular thing that we can do. There's some of you can do things I cannot do. I do not have the talent. I do not have the ability to do. There's some things that you can do that others can't do. And I would suggest that the question that was asked, what kind of things can a single woman who's a Christian be able to do, would be those kind of things which render the, the good works. Sometimes you have the talent, the ability, and the time to do those that others may not have. My conclusion of all this is women are a powerful force for good both in society and in the church and in the home. I should have put that as well. Women do a great work in all of these. The greatest women serve God in everything they do. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And then Paul put it like this in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Make sure your life reflects that. And when you get to the end, when you get to the day of judgment that we spoke about this morning, Proverbs 31, 31 and 30 and 31 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. If you will, take out your songbook now. We're going to extend the Lord's invitation. One of the greatest questions ever asked was asked by the jailer in Philippi. He said in Acts Chapter 16 and verse 30, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas answered him, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your house. This man needed to come to faith in Jesus Christ to know who he was, that he was the Son of God. It's in the very next chapter in Acts 17 verse 30. The times of this ignorance God once overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. It was in Acts chapter 8 when he met the eunuch, he said, See, here's water, what hinders me from being baptized? Philip tells him, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And his response was, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Acts 8, verses 36 and 37. And then in every case of conversions that you read in the book of Acts, they were baptized for the remission of their sins. Acts 2, verse 38. Acts 22, verse 16. I could give you more. And it may be tonight that you're a person searching and seeking. 
and you want to become a New Testament Christian, we'd love this evening to be able to assist you in doing that. If you, when we sing this song, will come to the front seat, we'll assist you in obeying the gospel. It's also possible that some of us are really struggling with sin in our lives. That's a burden you can lay down tonight. You can lay it down at the Lord's feet and say, Lord, I'm sorry for what I've done. I want to be restored. We'll pray with you and we'll pray for you. Would you come while we stand and sing?